and thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 Podcast. I am your host, April Hanna. At the Path 11 Podcast, we are here trying to deliver leading-edge research on consciousness, healing, and metaphysics. And just like you, we are trying to answer the big questions about life. Who are we? Why are we here? And what is our purpose? We hope by listening to our podcast, it will make each day you live on Earth a little easier to understand. And now for today's podcast. Hi, everybody. I'm really excited about our podcast today. I also want to thank Galaxy Media for providing our guest. I had the opportunity to actually watch a documentary and read the book, Perception, Seeing is Not Believing. And our guest today is James Papura, and he also wrote this book with his wife, Steph. She's not here to speak with us today, but we are going to be talking directly to James. And his book documentary really answers the question, how do you turn your life around? So let me tell you just a little bit about James and Steph before uh, we bring him on the show. So James, I guess you could say, experienced some of the most extreme moments life can offer. About 15 years ago, he was an inmate struggling with life in solitary confinement, placed there as a result of his actions while homeless and addicted to drugs. And while in jail, he reconciled his life and developed a personal philosophy. Philosophy. Once released, he found his wife, Steph, created an amazing family, a beautifully prosperous life, and became inspired to share his knowledge with the world. Steph is a survivor of sexual abuse and attempted suicide, and she went on to co-own one of the largest construction software companies in the world, which she sold, and is now co-founder of Powerful You, along with James. And their mission is to impact the lives of billions of people for the better. I really enjoyed not only having the opportunity to read their book, but to also watch their documentary. As you guys also know, we are filmmakers. It was really excellent, well put together, a fine piece of work. And uh, James, I want to welcome you to the Path 11 podcast. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here with you. Yeah. Sorry, Steph couldn't join us today. That's okay. Tell her we say hello. <laughs> Feel like I yeah. kind of kind of know her a little bit, you know, from watching the film. So Yeah, everybody kind of feels like that. She's she really she really touches people with her story. She does. She just has such warm, you know, energy. You could tell she just shoots straight from the heart. So, yeah. So um, where to begin? Why don't we start off a little bit with your story and to let our listeners know kind of how you really began to turn your life around and just begin to change your own perception, your own choices in life and really came out of what sounds to be a not so great time, um, and doing the work that you're doing now. Yeah. So, you know, we, as a part of everything that we're doing, we try to help people understand that everything about your life makes perfect sense when it's put into the right context. Right. And so for me, my life started out, you know, my, one of my earliest memories was being in my kindergarten class. And on the first day I was supposed to go to the resource or special ed class, cause I had some learning disabilities. My teacher called me up in front of the room and she said to me, she said, you know, only stupid and retarded kids go to special ed. I was obviously shocked. And, you know, when I turned around and she sent me out the door, she made the entire class call me stupid on the way out. And as you would imagine, I told my mom, but my mom was was she had bipolar disorder. You know, she um, was depressed and my dad was out of the picture, so she didn't really have the capacity to handle this type of situation. And so this pattern repeated itself every day for the first year, of my first year of school. And, you know, fast forward many, many, many years later, I'm sitting in a jail cell, you know, in solitary confinement as a result of being homeless and on drugs. And, you know, I know there's a big gap of time there, but what I want people to understand is that you know, everybody's on a path to somewhere. And if you don't take the time to understand or to get clarity around what your path is leading you to, you might end up somewhere that you don't want to be. Just like I ended up in solitary confinement. There were there were things that were set in motion, you know, in that first year of school that that took a long time to play out for me personally, but very much were connected to the fact that I was sitting in that jail cell. Hmm. 
Yeah. Now, you know, both you and Steph have experienced, you know, some trauma in life. I mean, who doesn't experience trauma in life, right? Um, but really, the two of you being able to turn that around and not letting it define you or continue you down a wrong path. Do you want to just kind of speak about maybe perception, resilience, and how people can begin to overcome once they understand that it is about choices? So absolutely. So um, it is about choices, but not in the way that most people think. We'll get back to that in a second. Mm-hmm. Um, I was sitting in my jail cell and I had an epiphany. So shortly after getting to jail, I got this letter from my father. And here's what the letter said. It said something along the lines of, I don't know how long you're going to be there, but most human beings don't get the chance to take time out of their busy lives to work on themselves. Don't let this time go to waste. I actually took that to heart, and so I started to try to get information, and I I got all these books on spirituality and self-help and meditation and different things, and I started, like, meditating in my cell. And I used to write these long lists of people I felt like had harmed me so that I could go into my meditation and offer them some sort of forgiveness. And one day, I was looking down, and I was looking at this list, and I had this epiphany. The only common denominator between all of those situations was, in fact, me. And the next thought was, what if I somehow created this? Now, I never really considered the fact that I was the creator of my experience. You know, that had never crossed my mind. You know, I always felt like things were happening to me, not because of me. And so in that moment, I thought, well, what does it mean if I'm not the creator of my experience? And if I'm not the creator of my experience, it means the world really is a cruel cruel place because I've had bad things happen to me and I probably don't want to play anymore. But if I was the creator of my experience, if I could figure out how I created my experience, then I could create something new and magical in its place. And, you know, when I thought about those two things, I was like, well, I don't have anything to lose. So it was on that day that I decided I was, in fact, the creator of my experience. And unbeknownst to me at the time, you know, I didn't realize too much later, that was the day that I took my power back. Now, being the creator of my experience meant I had to take responsibility for everything that happened to me. And when I say that, oftentimes people go, oh, no, are you trying to victim shame? And the answer is no because I never take responsibility for the other person's part in things. So what do I take responsibility for? The next question I asked myself was, well, okay, what what is the facet that created my experience? And so I went back and I thought, well, does my abuse define me? And, you know, that's a really interesting question because, you know, I can track back a lot of what I was feeling to that moment in the kindergarten class. And And so I thought to myself, well, if my abuse defines me, then I'm stuck forever, right? right? Because I can't go back and change it. I just can't go back and change my abuse. And so I thought, well, did everybody that's ever incurred abuse allow it to destroy them? And the answer is no. If they had help, if they had support, maybe if I would have had support, that wouldn't have destroyed me. But I didn't have support, so it did. And so it couldn't have been my abuse. Well, what was it? And here's what Steph and I came to. It was what we chose to believe about ourselves having lived through that abuse. You know, because this was my teacher, somebody of authority, and my mom didn't step in and correct it. She just basically said the world was a cruel place, learn to live with it. I thought to myself, when she told me I was stupid day after day after day, I chose to believe it. Now, sometimes people say to me when I tell that part of the story, like, James, don't do that to yourself. You know, like, you're only five. And I was like, stop taking my power away. Like, what do you mean? I said, look, I may have made the most logical choice a five-year-old could have made in that situation, but it was still my choice. And that's my power, that I had the choice to choose to believe what I believed about myself. I chose to believe that I was stupid. I chose to believe that I was not good enough. I chose to believe all those bad, terrible lies about myself. That was not her choice. It was my choice. And by making that choice, that... And by realizing it was my choice, I took my power back because I can always choose to believe something different about myself. Hmm. Great. Thank you. Thank you for answering it in that way. Um, if we Can we continue to talk about this choice um, and maybe applying it a little bit to what's going on in the world? We're recording this during our pandemic and a lot of people are at home. And one of the things that 
it was really interesting this week as we're kind of settling into maybe six, six or seven weeks of this. Uh, when I was speaking to my clients today, it was really interesting to talk to about 16 different people and see such a wide variety of perception and the way that people are handling this and looking at it. And when I say there's the spectrum of, you know, people who are feeling as if they are in solitary confinement, right? And then other people thinking, this is the best thing in the world. <laughs> and, you know, I just found that, I always find that to be very interesting that, you know, is it the way that we're looking at things? Is it the choices that we're choosing to make? Like, you know, some people may be choosing to take advantage of the fact that they can get outside and exercise every day and are now like walking five to, you know, six miles and other people that are just feeling totally stuck at home and can't even feel motivated to want to get out of their house. So how, how would you apply it in a situation of, you know, kind of what we're going through right now and how I'm witnessing too this wide range of perception and how people are looking at this situation that we're all experiencing, but in many different ways. And people maybe who are feeling very stuck, isolated, extremely depressed, um, are having a totally different experience than people who might be choosing to see this in more of an optimistic way, an opportunity, like you said, with what your dad had wrote you, you know, a time for self-reflection, to actually slow down, really do some inner work. So what would you say about that? You know, it's interesting because, you know, when I told my kids they weren't going back to school, all I heard was woohoo, right? <laughs> right? I mean, it was like, you know, what a great perspective on it, right? And so, you know, what I like to, I wrote a book, an ebook on fear, and I, I've shared it with you and you can share it with your listeners. And it was specifically around this topic of how to break free of fear. Because what happens is, is that Oftentimes, we all live with some daily level of fear. And some of us are working to chip that, you know, the minority of us are working to chip away at that fear every day. And, you know, others, it's like, okay, well, I have this fear and it's manageable. And then something like a pandemic comes along and throws their fear combines with societal fear and it throws them to a state of fear that they can't handle and they start acting irrationally. Right. And so that's what we're seeing in the world. It's like I go out into the grocery store and there are people I don't wear a mask. I'm not in fear. You know, the facts are is the vast majority of people are not in fear of dying of this. Right. And so it's like, well, why is everybody so upset and afraid? And everybody has their level of fear that they're dealing with. And very much I've told exactly like you mentioned, people like, hey, just like my dad said, you know, people don't get time to work on themselves, time to step out and evaluate their lives. Like, don't let this time go to waste. One of the other issues that we're dealing with is I like to say we're kind of like the economy's dead man walking. You know, we, there's no question whether or not it's destroyed. The only question right now is how bad. Right. And so there's a lot of fear around that. And so there's a saying in business, April, I think it's really interesting. The saying in business is this, the only thing worse than a company that outright fails is one that barely makes it, right? And I would say the same thing is true about life. The only thing that hit worse than hitting rock bottom and having to start over is having a life that's barely making it. And I think that what this this situation has done is woke people up to the fact that their life was barely making it. And so if you're sitting there and you're listening to the sound of my voice and you're thinking to yourself, what am I going to do? How am I going to regain that life back that I had? How am I going to put the pieces back together? Maybe you shouldn't, right? Uh -huh. Maybe you should like look at this and go, hey, listen, I'm probably going to lose everything. I'm going to be okay. I've got a place to stay, you know, even if it's with family. I've got food to eat. I'm not going to starve to death. I'm going to be fine. If I'm going to rebuild a life, why don't I start to rebuild something magnificent? Why don't I stop pretending and stop doing things that I don't want to do, right? And build something that's going to be great. You know, it's you know, it's like the old fight club thing. It's like, you know, it's not until you lose everything that you're free to build anything, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the challenge I put out to people is like, people fail to realize in downturns of economy, in hard times, there are more millionaires made. Now, I want to be clear, I'm not talking about money. What I'm talking about is, 
is the ability to get into your passion, into a creative state, to, to remake yourself in this time is unparalleled, right? And there's no shame in it. It's like, well, if your job was eliminated, nobody's going to look at, you know, and go, oh, April, you know, she's lazy. Did she quit her job? How unreasonable, right? Nobody's going to judge you. Everybody's dealing with their own stuff right now. And so anytime something like this happens or anything happens, you can focus on the most negative aspects of a situation or you can focus on the positive aspects of the situation. That's the choice, right? right. And if you, at this time, if you want to focus on the fear and you want to focus on the what you're losing, you're never going to see what you have the potential to gain. And so this is a time of opportunity. And, you know, sometimes opportunity comes like a kick in the face. But it's still opportunity. Wake up, you know, pull your socks up, like get out of bed and realize that you've just been potentially set free now of a life that you may not have loved, that you may not have relished. Now's your chance. Yeah, so this is really good. So um, the synchronicity that I love about this was one of my uh, last sessions yesterday, I basically was having this exact conversation um, with, with one of my clients. And at night afterwards, you know, I was winding down. That's when I went to watch your documentary and take a look at the book. And I immediately sent this information to her because we were having this conversation and I was talking about, you know, this freedom to choose. And, um, we were talking about how the way that her job was going was really not supportive of her physical body, of her, her mind, mentality, and all of that. So we basically were having this conversation of what you just said, but now let's move forward. And part of her challenge and what she reflected back to me was, but I don't even know what I would want to do. And so it was kind of like talking about and exploring that she has this freedom to choose a totally different life, to set better boundaries. She's getting so much information about what wasn't working and to know that she doesn't need to choose to go back into that or that choice may not even be there, right? Because of how many businesses and uh, the one that she works in is considered to be non-essential may change drastically. Um, but then the next obstacle that was proposed was, but I don't even know who I am. I don't know uh, what I would even want to do. I don't even know what I love. So how do you begin to help somebody move through that feeling of stuck so they can understand and recognize what you just said? Okay, I have these choices, but I don't even know what I would do with that choice, or I don't even know what my purpose is or what my passion is. How do you begin to work with somebody that is there? So, you know, I think that Gary Vee speaks to this really well. So Gary Vee, and I agree with him, it's like you shouldn't even be thinking about that question until you're 35. And so a lot of times what you have to do is you have to go out and do things that you don't want to do to figure out what it is you want to do, right? You have to go out and be willing to make mistakes, be out, go willing to take some chances, go out and figure out what you don't like. Now, it sounds like the woman you were speaking about already has a... A, an experience of some things she doesn't like to do, right? And right. so, you know, she already knows what she doesn't want. She can move in some other directions and figure it out. It's like people are so worried about, I need to know what I'm doing forever right now. It's like I get out of college, like I got to settle into my career. No, you don't have to settle into your career. What you need to do is go out and make some mistakes. What you need to do is go out and figure out what the things you don't like to do so you can figure out oftentimes what the things you do want to do. And so one of the questions I pose to people who ask this same question is, is, is what would you do? Right. If there were no limits, if nobody was looking, if you weren't afraid of being judged. Right. If you weren't, you know, if there wasn't any preconceived ideas of right or wrong or good and bad. Right. What would you do then? The other part of it is, is that exploration into self. Right. It's that when I you know, when you talk to people, it's like, you know, they get into this idea of like, well, I don't even know who I am. Right. Well, let's answer that question first, right? Who am I, right? And so, you know, I actually wrote a chapter on this in the ebook I sent you, but essentially you are 
the culmination of all of your beliefs about who you are, right? And so nothing more, nothing less. People like to think that they're the, the, the culmination of their experiences, but we don't actually live from the outside in, so we can't be the culmination of our experiences. We live from the inside out. And so what I would challenge people, and we actually have a really cool process to uncover this, is what were you before the world, before you started to try to become what you thought the world wanted you to be, mm. right? And so, you know, we have this exercise, it's called an emotional integration technique, and this has a very f profound effect on people. But when I walk people through it, and it's in the book, it's in the movie, you know, I give you a link to free resources. Right now, we're giving the movie away for free to anybody in the world who wants to see it, right? And it's in there. But the idea is that I walk people through this exercise to kind of uncover their biggest fear. And what it always brings them back to was that first substantial rejection, that first time they felt powerless. And from that point forward, you know, your ego starts spinning up personas to gain validation, right? And it's like, well, what are you trying to become? Well, whatever you, what you know is, is whatever you are is not good enough. So you're trying to become anything but that. And so there's this narrative I like to play to people. And it's like, what if you're everything that you think that you are and aren't and nothing that you think that you are? And I can prove that that's the most likely scenario, right? Because Ever since you suffered this first massive rejection or this idea that you weren't good enough, you've been running full speed away from the most authentic, real version of you. But that part of you still exists, right? And we actually have tools to help you get there and understand that, right? And, and so it's like this concept of, you know, we share in the book around Neverland, right? It's like we all live in this, in this world where we're free and everything, the world's full of wonder and awe. And at some point, somebody comes along and that bubble bursts and we fall into what we call the matrix. But who were you in that moment? You know, what did you relish? What aspects of you? And you might think that's childlike, but that's anything but childlike, right? In the sense of whatever the pure version of you is, right, then that's what needs to be expressed. And so it's like, you know, people, I kind of liken this whole thing to, you know, are you a body or are you a mind or a spirit, right? And if you identify with the body, right, then you identify with, you know, pain and suffering and all these different things. And the body has needs. The spirit only has one needs, and that's to express, right? What do you want to express? Mm -hmm. I like that. It's a great way to break it down just into those three things. Are you body, mind, or spirit. And, and I, I would agree with you. I feel like in so many conversations that I have with people, and I don't even know if it's so much of childlike, but so many people wish that they could feel more of that freedom to be who they are and to release so much of the worry and the fear, you know, to be a little more childlike might be, I don't know if trusting is the right word, but it just feels like as we become adults, we get so uh, bogged down with the money, the bills. I mean, I don't know, if, uh, maybe we do want to talk about money because I know that that was also in your book too, that many people see money as being very much a constraint. And well, if I didn't have this debt or if I, you know, had a million dollars and I didn't have to worry about the bills that, you know, I would be able to then go and express myself and be more childlike. So I think that many times when we move into this world of adulthood and we are maybe over-focused on this 3D reality of, of money and job and bills and all that, that that can kind of crush the spirit a little bit. Do you want to talk a little bit about money and perception of Absolutely. money? Absolutely. So, you know, you said something at the beginning of that narrative that was really important. And so in the ebook I just wrote, you know, I've been on this nonstop exploration to figure out the one issue that, you know, defines everything that we're facing as a human being, kind of Einstein's, you know, equation of everything. And only recently, about six months ago, I had this issue come up and then I had to come up again recently and I had to work through it. And I think I found that wrapper. And here's the wrapper is the biggest issue facing all of us as human beings is our inability to trust. Mm. 
period. That's it. It's our inability to trust. And so if you want to restore yourself, you have to restore trust. And so what do we need to trust? First thing we need to do is trust ourselves, which we don't because we don't feel like we're good enough. And if we're not good enough, why would we trust ourselves? Then we have to be able to foster a level of trust for, you know, another, right, for others. And then the last one is, is that, you know, so the the three areas we've lost trust is we don't trust ourselves, we don't trust others, and we don't trust in a higher authority. Now, a higher authority can be anything. It can be karma. It can be God. It can be the universe. It can be love. It can be government. It can be anything. And the reason that's important is because, you know, the reason we lost that is because we didn't feel like anybody stepped in to help us in our times of trauma. And so we have to be able to restore trust. And that is what it means to take on a journey of personal evolution and growth is to learn how to and store trust. And it starts with one fundamental basic idea that I am safe, right? I am safe. Look, inside of you, there are, there are survival mechanisms that are firing off that are constantly telling you that you're not safe. But the fact is you're safe. If you have a roof over your head and you have food on your table, you are safe, right? Mm -hmm. And what does that mean? It means that you know, that you're not fighting for your survival. And so we all feel like we're playing this game where we're fighting for our survival when in fact we're not, right? And that's the primal program that's running inside of us. And that's where the need for the safety, security, and money comes in. And so like, people are like, well, am I safe? And I'm like, well, you're safe until you're not safe, right? <laughs> you know, if somebody, somebody walked into this building with a gun, then I wouldn't be safe, but that would only last for five or 10 minutes, right? Um, and it's like, you're safe. And if you start with that, right? And so, you know, as a part of that technique, one of the ones I wrote in the book, it's like, I start with canceling my goal to feel safe because I am safe, right? Recognize that I'm in love, that I'm happy, that everything that I have and need to build anything that I want is already inside of me. And so when we get around to money, my wife and I were absolutely positively sure that money was going to buy happiness. And I thought that, you know, the fact that, you know, people said, well, money doesn't buy happiness. I was like, that's just a rich people's way of making us poor people feeling better about being poor. Money will absolutely buy happiness. And so when we got to our first million dollars, um, you know, I looked at my wife and I said, are you happy? She goes, nope. And I said, me either. And so we went to two million dollars. Right? <laughs> like, must not have enough money. And at some point along that journey, we woke up and we went, it's true. Money doesn't buy happiness. It doesn't, right? And so, you know, that was a shock to me. And then I was like, well, what does it take to create happiness? And so here's where we're at in this world right now is I think that we feel like we're made to choose. You know, all the spiritual people get to be happy, but they're happy and broke, right? And all the rich people get to be creative and create all this stuff in the great world, but they're but they're miserable. And so we have a bunch of spiritual people who are happy and broke and a bunch of rich people who are, <laughs> right, who are yeah. rich and right, miserable. Who are rich and have everything they want and they're miserable. And so the question is, can we have both? And the answer is yes, we can have both. But you have to understand the concepts by which we create in the world. And so this is it. Creating happiness, right, creating well-being is about changing your perception of your inside world. Creating money is about changing a perception of the outside world, right? Creation in the, in the 3D world. And so can you do both? And the answer is yes. And you can actually do them at the same time. And that's the most efficient way to do it. And, you know, once people start, really the subject around our book is, is making people understand the two elements that create their existence, which are perception and emotions. When you understand those two elements and fully grasp the power in that, when you learn how to use your emotions as a feedback mechanism for your false and limiting beliefs and perceptions about who you are, you can use the techniques that we write in the book to go into your past, right, and change something you currently believe about yourself that's not truth so that that will reflect in your future. And so creating happiness and creating in the outside world and creating on the inside world are just two coins, two different sides to the coin we call perception. So I'm sure you're familiar with uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza's work. 
I am. Yeah, because uh, so I'm running a book club right now on the book You Are the Placebo, and it's it, it's very similar. I mean, you know what he teaches as well, and some of the meditations, and what we're going through as a book club. I have about just you know 11 people in it, but it really is about what you were just talking about you know, understanding the internal self, but also tying it to the emotions and being able to see and perceive his focus is, you know, that future self. But, um, you know, the connection really is about that strong emotion. And as I was reading this book and kind of listening to you talk and, you know, going through your material too, it, it's kind of made me realize why I've heard some people say, how come law of attraction sometimes works and sometimes it doesn't, I can't quite figure it out how to get it consistent. And what I've realized in some of this work is that yes, you can maybe think some things into existence or begin to move the momentum, you know, energy follows thought, but really what I'm beginning to learn more is that you can't, you can't just think it the whole way through. You also have to feel it. You have to bring this desire and the strong emotion and belief that whatever that future reality that you want to create is truth and really feel it, see it, sense it, believe it. So the emotional piece I think, um, is so key to this. Well, it is. And so I can explain the law of attraction in a reasonably easy way for everybody to understand it, because the vast majority of people actually misunderstand what the law of attraction is and what it does. And so I'll ask you a question, April. Can you have the thing you want most in the world sitting right in front of your face and just not see it? Probably. <laughs> yeah. Probably. Good answer. So I'm going to walk you through a little exercise. <laughs> okay. And we're going to test this. And I would, I would, I would invite your listeners to walk through this exercise with me. So I want you to imagine a man. This man wants more than anything to be loved. He wants to be in a relationship. Unfortunately, he has terrible self-esteem, really poor self-image of himself. One day, this guy walks into a store. He walks up to the counter. The girl behind the counter starts to flirt with him. My question for you, April, does he recognize the girl as flirting with him? I would say the way that you just described him, probably not. No. Okay. And so that's exactly the answer I get from 99% of the people. Probably right. not. Or not right now. And your listeners probably answered the same way. And so the question I ask people all the time is, well, if this guy can have the thing, he, the opportunity to get the thing he wants most in the world right in front of his face, what if that's happening to you? Right. And so people start, well, this is a cute story. Maybe it happens sometimes. It actually happens all the time. And that's why you need to understand the concept of perception. But if you answered probably not, you already understand it. Why didn't the guy see it, right? Well, you said he had low self-esteem. So a belief of low self-esteem on the inside is impacting what he's seeing on the outside. That's how perception works. We only see what's on the inside being projected on the outside. And so even though the thing that he wants most in the world, at least the opportunity to get it, is right in front of his face, he can't see it. Why? And actually, it's a pretty simple answer why. It's just a matter of capacity. You know, I ask people all the time, you know, I avoid asking spiritual people this because they answer it wrong. But, you know, <laughs> would, you go to the, would you go to the end of a rainbow and look for a pot of gold? Spiritual people are like, sure. I'm like, no, you wouldn't because... You don't believe it's there. Well, your mind works the same way. Your mind is not looking out for things that you don't believe are possible. So the reason the guy doesn't see it is because his mind isn't looking for that piece of information because you don't spend time or energy looking for things that you don't believe are there. And so essentially what happens is, is that that's how our mind works is how perception works is this way. You can only see what you believe to be possible the less you believe it, the less likely you are to see it. The more you believe it, the more likely you are to see it. And so what the law of attraction is, is we live in a universe of infinite possibilities. As soon as you set your intention for something, the, the opportunities to get that thing start showing up, right? And so the question is, can we see them? And the answer is no, until we believe it's possible. So the law of attraction, the reason you get a vision board and you stare at the vision board is not to use some magical force to draw in some opportunity that wasn't there. It's to foster belief so you'll see the opportunities that are already presenting themselves. And that's how perception works. And so 
if you can't see it, if you don't believe it, you're never going to see it. And so we have to be able to foster that belief around the things that we want so that we'll be able to see the opportunities that already exist to get there. And I'll give you people an example of just how easy this works is how your mind works is I want you to envision the car that you're driving, right? And whether you decided you were going to buy that car, you just went to the lot. Most people go to the lot, buy a car, right? All of a sudden you drive it into your hometown and you start looking around. What do you see? Everybody in your town is driving that same car. Right. Like, I was just going to say that. Yeah. yeah. Right. It's like, yeah. Oh, wait, I didn't see these yesterday. And the question is why? Because your mind wasn't looking for it. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's how our mind works is because there's so much available information. Our mind's job is to take all that information, compress it into just enough information that our conscious mind can handle and process based on our current set of beliefs. So if you believe that you're not good enough, if you believe that you're not smart enough, if you believe that nobody loves you, if you believe that you're not worthy of things, you're never going to see the things necessary to move out of those beliefs. So the idea is this, is people say to me all the time, well, I will be when, right? And it's like, no, success, creation was never ever about doing. It's only ever about being. You have to believe it before you see it and experience. And so people are trying to have the experience like as soon as somebody loves me, I'll love myself. No, as soon as you love yourself, somebody will love you, right? Mm -hmm. Or I'll feel good about myself. And so the world really is this bizarro place that everything is working exactly opposite of how we think it does. Yeah. And, and if that man with that, you know, low self-esteem decided, you know, I'm going to walk outside today and I'm going to be super flirtatious and see what people are recognizing me or see who's recognizing me, he would probably go out to that grocery store and, you know, count maybe 10 or 15 people that looked him in the eyes. He would notice the clerk that was flirting with him as opposed to walking out of the house, feeling depressed. Nobody sees me for who I am. Nobody wants me. And then there's the reality that plays out in either direction. Absolutely. That's exactly right. You got it to the, you know, and that's, and that's it. You know, when we, when we go back to this talk about the pandemic and whatever you're choosing to feel or believe about what the future is, you know, I always tell people is like, there's, you know, it doesn't, you know, so there's this narrative, right? Here's the narrative. It's like positive versus negative. There's a lot of big debate, you know, what is better to look at? And it's like, here's what, you know, negative people, right? Pessimists fail to realize. And every time I meet a pessimist, they say the same thing to me. I'm not a pessimist. I'm a realist, (laughs) right? And you're just like, okay. And it's like, well, here's what the pessimist or realist fails to understand is that their pessimistic view of the world is no more or less based in reality than my optimistic view of the world. Meaning the underlying uh, principle around perception is you don't see reality. You only see what you believe reality to be from moment to moment, right? And so the idea is that if you align with the most pessimistic view, you will see the most negative circumstances, right? And so what is a realist? Here's the good news for the pessimist, because they focus on the negative and think about when you're being negative, your shoulders are down, you're looking at the ground, right? And they, they, they actually make the negative situation the most likely, Right. They're actually making that it's a probability thing. It's like they make it a more likely scenario. Here's the good news about being a pessimist. You get to be right. It's like I told you everything was going to go wrong and it did. Right. You're like, good for you. Right. Right. And so what's there is a cost to pessimism. And that is, is that you, in fact, close down your field of perception, because when you're focused on the most negative aspects, you believe less is possible. So you see less. Right. And then when you're positive, it opens up your field of perception. Now, just like you made the example of the guy goes out into the store and he's he's positive. He recognizes the girls flirting with him. He may not have the courage at that point to flirt back because he hasn't done that level of work yet. But at least he would know that, you know, one of those misperceptions, he can see the opportunity even if he's not in a confident enough position to take it. And so then, then he has to go work on his level of confidence. Right. And so here's the here's the fail stop gap. It's like everybody believes like they're trying to fix things. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to fix this. And I'm going to fix that. And I'm going to fix this. And I'm going to fix that. Well, because what you need to understand is that our experience is this. 
What you're feeling and believing on the inside is being projected, and that's what you're interacting with and experiencing on the outside. So if you go outside of you and you try to fix things, it would be like going to a movie and slapping the screen to try to change what's on the projector, right? Just like our guy in the store. What would he need to be able to see that? Nothing outside of him is going to change his inability to see the opportunity that's in front of him. It's something inside of him. And so you have to work from the inside out. You cannot work from the outside in. And that's where most people could start fall, falling down. It's like they're trying to fix things where the problem doesn't exist outside of them. Every problem that you're experiencing is inside of you, not outside of you. All right. So let me ask you one more question. Now, how would you help maybe somebody like me um, that sometimes what happens or my experience right now is I can see a lot of endless possibilities, creativity, um, thinking about ways to reinvent myself, maybe reinvent my business. Maybe, you know, Path 11 has uh, not necessarily always been something that could be 100% full time that I do. But as I'm sitting here in this pandemic saying, well, maybe that's possible or maybe this is possible, or maybe I, you know, take this totally different direction. And I can sometimes get overwhelmed by so many possibilities that I see that I can then shut down because that the endless possibilities sometimes to me feel so overwhelming. And I don't quite know how to focus the energy with all the possibilities. I mean, it really is anything that I want to choose I could do and be. And that's so fun and exciting. But when you can see so many possibilities, how do you begin to just um, collect the energy for more of that focus if I really wanted to reinvent and recreate something um, to be, you know, even more fulfilling than what I've, what I'm doing now? Such a great question, April, and one that nobody has ever asked me. (laughs) And I actually deal with that same problem that you do, right? It's like when you get to a certain level of understanding our openness, all of a sudden, you know, there's infinite possibilities sitting in every direction, right? Mm -hmm. And so essentially what you have to do is you really have to go into your internal guidance system, right? And so what I would say to you is that, you know, just because there's hundreds of doors in front of you doesn't mean that you have to walk through every door. Now, the old version of James, right? And used to I'll just walk through all the doors and see which doors lead down dead ends and which doors go, you know, (laughs) keep going. Right. The problem with that is that is a massive amount of work and I'm moving into massive amounts of resistance at all times. Right. Mm. Because I'm 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 just waiting for a path to stop me. Right. And that's kind of the first iteration of this. It's just kind of like, hey, I'll take all the doors and see which ones work out. But it really starts to impact you negatively. So, you know, I tell people, it's like, you know, well, how do you avoid doing that? And here's what you do is I want you, you know, and I know that you seem like a very intuitive person is that you close your eyes, right? And you think about a path, you know, is this path that I'm thinking about optimal, right? And if you're not in that pure love state, right, if there isn't clear energy there. And if there's any like, you know, stuff coming up from the past, clear that energy, right? If you're not in that, in that synchronicity, right, then that's not the path. And so it's just, there's a question we ask, ask ourselves all the time. And the question is this, it's like, is there anything I need to know about or take action about this path right now? And it's like, no, right? And it's like, okay. And so as long as you keep asking that question, and keep walking forward, the path will become clear, right? And it's like people start showing up like, oh, hey, April, you're here. I'm here. Let's go do this thing, right? It's like it's like you don't have to do it all on your own. When you're walking, in, uh, walking down a path that's built in, you know, your life purpose and the things that you really want to do and bring forward and the things that, that are coming through you, the synchronicity stops hap- starts happening. And so... There's a beautiful speech by Bill Gates, or not Bill Gates, I'm sorry, Steve Jobs, um, and, and where he talks about synchronicity. And what he says in that speech is that synchronicity is a beautiful thing, but you can only see it when you look backwards. Well, that's true to a certain degree. But when you start becoming fully realized and you start living in this life of like, 
full awareness and seeking clarity, and that's the other key, is just seeking clarity on all this stuff, is that you actually start seeing synchronicity come together in real time. Right. And that synchronicity will guide you down the right path. People start showing up. You know, you have a conversation, something happens and it's like, oh, I have synchronicity, which I would call flow in this path. And I have resistance in this path. I'm going to move down the path with uh, synchronicity and flow. Awesome. Thank you. (laughs) What that reminds me of um, is when I was listening, you know, a couple of years ago, a lot to Abraham Hicks, uh, Esther Hicks, that would channel, you know, the higher consciousness of what she would call Abraham. And there was this thing in making decisions and choices. And she says, there's only, there's really only two, two things when you're making a decision and the feeling should be, it's either a hell yes or a hell no. (laughs) And that kind of reminds me a little bit of what you're saying with, you know, if if there's resistance there, that should be a hell no. And if it's flowing and there's synchronicity, you know, to move in that direction and feel it, you know, for it to be that strong, to be like a hell yes. So, um, you know, hers was a little, you know, dramatic and very, a little black and white, but um, it reminds me a little bit of that concept too. So thank you. That's, that's really helpful. That will really help me to focus. Well, I think, you know, one of the, I love Abraham Hicks's work. And so, you know, you mentioned Joe Dispenza and you mentioned Abraham, you know, Esther Hicks, right? Yeah. And my understanding is that she's not, it's not Abraham. It's all her, right? She just, she had to separate it for a while, but the, <clears throat> This is what I would say. Our work is a combination of what you'd find from Joe Dispenza and um, Abraham Hicks, right? In the sense of it's a boiled down, very simple to understand way of explaining the concepts that both of those people are talking about, right? And sometimes I love I love Esther Hicks, but sometimes that stuff seems ethereal because, you know, it's coming from you know, a place that we think it's like, oh, yeah, well, it's easy to say that from the spirit world. You know, it's all simple there, right? And then, you know, Joe Dispenza is coming from a very scientific background. So what Steph and I did was all of our information is in complete congruence with that, but it's explained in a way that's too simple to ignore, right? Language that's uh, too easy to misunderstand. And so what I would tell you about our work is this, is, is that there are no mysteries to life, right? We just like to think there are, you know, there, you know, and so I know that you're a spiritual person at the beginning of this call. And so everything that we talk about is we took spiritual principles and we boiled them down and found the 3D, you know, experience equivalent of those. And so they're the same principles. It's just how they show up in our experience, just like I explained the law of attraction, is that everything in the spirit world has an equivalent in the physical world. We found those equivalents and we're teaching people how to work at that level to, in a very simple way, without any spiritual awakening, to create the life that they they desire. I 100% agree with with what you said, because um, what I have found about your work is that it's practical, it's down to earth, um, and it's just, it's it's in a language that's very easy to understand. Like, I love Joe Dispenza's work. It takes me a lot of work to work through the science of it. And I love science, right? That's why I'm drawn to his work, but sometimes that could be overwhelming. And when I was watching, when I was watching your documentary, I didn't feel overwhelmed when they were kind of talking about, you know, some of the processes of the brain. I just feel like you guys really have a knack of being able to break it down almost like in layman's terms to make it simple, easy, practical. It doesn't get too woo woo. It doesn't get too scientific. It just kind of really meets people with where they are in day to day life. So I think your work really is brilliant. Your book's probably going to be the next one for my next book club. Um, you know, yeah, so excited to have stumbled upon this and, um, you know, we just, we love galaxy media and Gail tour. And, you know, when she said, Hey, I think these guys would be a great fit. I said, absolutely. So, um, I guess before we end, why don't we just review a little bit more? Cause we're going to put your free resources in the show notes. Um, let people know where they can watch this documentary, the free resources that you guys are offering right now, and anything else that you would like our listeners to know about your work. Absolutely. You know, it's funny because 
we've had two things. Uh, the the most feedback we get about the movie is is that it's like the secret was substance, right? <laughs> and so I, the biggest compliment and I think insult I ever got about the book was, you know, this book was written on a fifth grade level. Normally that would insult me, but for some reason it didn't at all. It spoke to me. I'm like, thanks. And that was a guy who works, works with me here, right? I'm like, thanks. You know, And it was written on a fifth grade level because that's actually the highest level of education that I had. And so it was very important to me to keep the language um, very simple. And even when an editor would put in a word, I would take it back out that people would have to look up, I would take it back out because I wanted people not to have to get their dictionary or their thesaurus when they were looking through it. So, hey, so I know that you're gonna plug the free resources in. So we are showing our movie for free. We made it free to support people as a part of this pandemic. And you can see that on PowerfulU.com. That's powerful, the letter U.com. And we also have an app. If you go to your app store, whether it be on your TV device, every TV device, every phone device, and every tablet device can download our app. It's called the Powerful Universe, but just put in Powerful, the letter U, and you'll see the app come up, and you can watch it for free on all of your devices. Um, we have a free assessment that's incredible to tell you exactly where you're stuck. It's called Perception Sketch. We have the book. I think we're offering that free right now with shipping. I just sent you a copy of the ebook. Um, if you want a quick, deep dive, very simple, boiled down iteration of everything that we've done so far, it's in the ebook. It's a 45 minute hour read, very deep, but very simple information to support you in this time for need. That's probably the best place to start. I gave April a copy to spread out to your following. Um, we have a content universe, like a Netflix for personal development that you can subscribe to with incredible teachers, you know, that are teaching and in a very conversational way, lots of topics, lots of, of things. We have incredible teachers in that, you know, and so eventually we'll be doing live events, but right now we're doing events on Facebook two nights a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays. Um, in order to support people, you know, where they're at, these are free events. And so we made almost all of our stuff free so that we could support people in this time of need. And you can find those free resources at powerful-theletteru.com. Awesome. James, thank you so much. This really was just a, a great time, a great talk. I really enjoyed your resources. Uh, you know, one of the gifts of being able to do this podcast and reading so many books and being exposed to so many different things is I become this library and resource for all the people that I know and all the clients that I work with. So thank you so much again for being a guest on the Path 11 podcast. Would love to have you back. Um, so keep us in mind, you know, next time you guys have some stuff going on, anything we can do to help get the word out. Love your work. And I just want to thank you again. Thank you, April. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. I also wanted to remind you that we are selling live stream tickets over at our website for $129 for the Afterlife Awareness Conference. This conference is going to be held online only June 5th, through the 7th, and you can get your access by visiting path11productions.com AC 2020.